Well, hello, everybody. Hello. My name is uh, Tyler. I'm the Montague site pastor. This is my wife, Haley, and partner in ministry in Montague, where we serve as part of the Cornerstone family. And we're excited to be here today because, I mean, this just, like, never happens. <laughs> I, this, this winter is eight years since I've been part of Cornerstone. I started as a little intern coming out of Bible college, and uh, anyway, I, I can even, like, kind of grow a mustache now. So uh, we, we've all come a long way since then. Yeah. Uh, we're excited to be in Montague, and I just want to kind of start things off by sharing a little bit of, of what's going on. We, uh, we started out with what was the Montague Baptist Church in 2015 that joined on to become one of Cornerstone's sites. And since then, we've been living in Montague, working in the community there, uh, kind of trying to relaunch this church that was kind of a revitalization of a, a former congregation. And it's, it's been long work. There have been days where it's been super encouraging, and there have been months where it's not been encouraging. But we're kind of coming through a season right now of just kind of like deep encouragement and seeing kind of the fruit of, of being there for a, a good amount of time. And, and that's exciting. And I want, to, like, I want you guys to know that there's really exciting things happening in Montague. And I want to thank you guys for praying for us. I want to thank you for your support of us. And, and when you think of it, like, Come, come down to Montague sometime. Come hang out with us. Come see how your brothers and sisters at Cornerstone Montague are gathering to worship Jesus uh, in a similar way as we are this morning as part of a bigger family. Uh, Haley, she's one of our, our leaders down in Montague where she leads up you know, women's ministry and nursery and coordinates volunteers and things like that. What's, what's something that's kind of been on your heart that you're excited about with Montague lately? Man, I, I think there's so many things this year. I think just the fact that we can all be a church without restrictions has just opened up so many doors. And I think probably it's, it's easy to categorize things with numbers, but truly it's, it's seeing people who God is drawing without our strategy, with just this hunger. There's a, a real hunger and desperation for God where we're seeing people step up where it's less and less the Haley and Tyler show and it's more and more the, the, the church being in the church. There's people stepping into their gifts as leaders, as small group leaders, kids, teachers, um, teens now. Oh, that's probably one of the biggest is seeing. Um, we have four, potentially five churches who are coming together to do a team's ministry for three rivers. That's incredible. And, and Tyler has been more in that field, but that's been an encouragement to my heart. Um, and I think, yeah, the just, I think what's been most encouraging to me is people's honest desperation for God and with real questions coming, wanting to really dig into scripture, to really be known by people and have honest conversation with people. Um, and, and then personally, this fall was a big encouragement for me personally. We had a women's retreat, which was planned to have a more intimate location, but Fiona change our plans and just seeing again it's all of these women I probably had a team of like a dozen women who are coming together pulling this together and um, seeing what I thought was going to be the venue of rest God's like no we're moving it back to the church and he showed me he's the giver of rest it's not where you are yeah. it's not the the atmosphere he's the giver of rest and so that was a huge 
encouragement to me, and hopefully some of, I see a few of you out there who came um, out to Montague, so that was great. Yeah. You should preach the sermon now. That was like, <laughs> that's it, right there. That's it. So good. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, Haley and I, we're, we're, we're rooted in Montague. We've got three young kids uh, who are excited to be part of the program here today to uh, show up at Grammy's Church this morning, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, Phil is preaching at Cornerstone Stratford today. Gordon, who's the Stratford site pastor, is in Montague, and I get to be here with you. So I'm excited uh, to be able to start into a new series uh, this morning with you all. Why don't we pray, just to start off. God, I'm thankful that you're already here. Since before a key was put into the lock to open the doors this morning, your presence has been here, and you have been calling and inviting us into your presence to worship you together. God, what's happening this morning is more than just bodies in chairs, more than just music being played, more than just words being spoken through a microphone, but we are here, we are participating with the divine. We get to sit in your presence, we get to hear from your revelation, and we get to be shaped by your spirit. So my prayer, Jesus, more than anything that I would say, I pray that you would speak. My prayer, Holy Spirit, is more than any point of application that I might try to put in my sermon, you would be speaking and digging into hearts. Would you have your way today, Father? Do what you want in us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I mentioned, uh, we have two young boys, uh, three and four and a half, and something that I did this fall, summer, fall, I don't know if it was good parenting or not, they were introduced to Star Wars. Uh, and they went in the deep end. Like, they are all about Star Wars right now. And I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan, which is great for, you know, to be able to go through that with my kids and introduce them to Star Wars. But what it also did for me is it brought up a lot of feelings I have about the new Disney sequels of Star Wars. If you are a Star Wars person and you have seen anything that Disney has put out by Star Wars, kind of in the Skywalker saga, episodes 7, 8, and 9, you're let down like I am too, I know. And here's the problem. Like, it was cool, Kylo Ren has a neat lightsaber, like the whole BB-8 droid is really neat, and my kids love that stuff, but the storyline is atrocious. They are three films by three different directors, and the writing team must be so different because it just doesn't go anywhere. And try, let's go. <laughs> and trying to follow along through the arc of these three films, like at least with the prequels, we knocked them when they came out, but at least you know Anakin becomes Darth Vader, right? With the sequels, it's like, what is going on? And trying to watch it with my kids, I can't follow. I'm losing the plot, and I know the people at Disney who wrote it lost the plot a long time ago, and that's why we got what we got with the Star Wars sequels. Let's pray and close out this morning. <laughs> this series that we're starting is called Lost the Plot, where we're going to be looking at uh, Stephen's response to the Sanhedrin, to these Jewish leaders who are accusing him for what he's doing and how he just lays out their history before them and says, 
Listen, you guys haven't been following the story if you're standing against what's happening right now. And it, this is going to be, this is going to be painful for us in some ways because there are a whole lot of ways where we as Christians quickly and easily lose the plot. Man, like church, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you see how quickly we just lose the plot. I'm comfortable with the friend group that I've gotten to know. And so I'm not interested in inviting anyone else in. The, the worship music isn't really to my taste. So I'm going to sit and fold my arms instead of engaging. That, that program that we used to do that I love, like I need to keep pushing for that even though you know, it should have died eight years ago or when we long for the good old days. We so quickly lose the plot when the creator of the universe is restoring the cosmos through Jesus and we're invited to be part of it and we're fighting about worship music. We lose the plot so quickly and easily. And, and I mean, no wonder. Like we live in a, in a world where like the, <laughs> we are just perpetually formed to be distracted and to take our eyes off the prize, right? Like we, we live in a world where we're just like constantly put, like we have things in front of us, whether it's our phones or we're just like always advertised to, where people are trying to tell us like, go this way, focus on this. Like you can, you know, save 15% on car insurance. If you like, all of these advertisements, all of this distraction, this is the way that we are shaped and we're formed. So no wonder we are people who are constantly taking our eyes off the big picture and losing the plot. We're presented with newer things and better things that make us kind of give up our commitments that we have for the long haul. Everything is competing for the place of Jesus in our lives, even ourselves. It's easy to lose the plot. So what do we do? What do we do about it? Well, this series is part of us working towards this, of what does it look like if we are seeking to find God in the center of the story, in the center of our lives, when we are constantly a people distracted, heading off in other directions. How do we constantly recenter and make God the, the, the hub of all the spokes, so to speak? Over these next 14 weeks, as we look at Stephen's story from Acts that we saw in the video, and the speech that he gives to those that are accusing him, we are going to revisit what it means for us to stay uh, rooted in the bigger story, and what it looks like for us, like Stephen, to be able to stand firm in our faith in a, a time where, like he, there is a whole lot thrown against him. So we're going to begin this morning not diving in so much to Stephen's speech, but we're going to look at the life of Stephen together. So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 6. If you have a Bible or phone or whatever, you want to pull that up, we've got it up on the screen. But I'm reading Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through uh, to the beginning of chapter 7. <clears throat> this is what it says. Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as some from Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then he secretly persuaded some men to say, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And then he starts into the story of God's work among their ancestors. Now, let's talk about Stephen. Stephen shows up in a really unique place in the story of the early church. Stephen is one of seven uh, leaders that are chosen to help when a, a whole new level of problem shows up. So if, if you're tracking with the storyline, Jesus is crucified and resurrects, right? He and his disciples, they are, are marveling at what happened. And Jesus ascends, and the disciples are told to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and then they're just kind of going to spread like wildfire, spread the news of the resurrection, that what Jesus has done is for the restoration of his creation. What happens, the Acts 2 moment where the Holy Spirit descends, they start speaking in different languages, Jews who came to Jerusalem on pilgrimage from all over the Roman Empire who speak all kinds of different languages as their native language, not just uh, Hebrew, they hear what's going on in their own language and we begin to realize, hey, this Messiah and the spirit that he sends, he is wanting this thing to spread. So that these Jews who are speaking all kinds of language, languages are hearing about the resurrected Jesus. They become disciples and they start spreading it to the places that they're from. This presents a challenge, though. Is all of a sudden there's this cultural difference that's taking place in the church. From the like Jerusalem, Aramaic, Hebrew speaking Jews. And then the Jews that are kind of from other parts of the Roman Empire who... Maybe, like, Aramaic's not their original language. Like, they're Greek-speaking. It, it, it's like, what if we had a church where we had this situation where we've got English speakers and French Canadians in the same room, right? There are cultural backgrounds, there's language things that, that cause for some realities that have to get played out. And what the church started noticing is that for the Greek-speaking Jews who had become Christians, their widows were being overlooked when they were dispersing food for them. So they were looking after the widows of the congregation and trying to do it well, but for some reason the Greek-speaking widows were being missed. And so they rose up and they said, 
oh man, we need to do something to resolve this. So they found leaders who would make sure that there was equality among the dispersion with the widows and that they could continue to serve so that the apostles can go about their business. Stephen was one of these leaders that was risen up to to help distribute food among the Greek-speaking widows and to be extra support so that the apostles continue in their work. But there's something about Stephen in this story that just, like, it really gets me. Like, what is it about Stephen where when he is faced with these, this opposition at the synagogue from Greek-speaking Jews, by the way, that he's able to stand up, that he's able to, to point them back to the bigger story, and he's able to confess, confess Jesus to the point where they pick up stones and they kill him because he is speaking about a resurrected Messiah in a way that they don't appreciate. What is it about Stephen's faith, his life, that gives him this kind of resilient faith in the midst of the opposition he faced? What does it mean for us to have resilient faith? A faith that doesn't flee when things get hard. A faith that's willing to dive into our doubts and dig in and deconstruct what we need to deconstruct and rebuild what we need to rebuild. A faith that is willing to wrestle with God through the hard stuff and the tests and the difficulty and the opposition and the rub of when our faith and culture don't line up but comes out the other side stronger. What does it mean to have that kind of resilient faith? I want that kind of faith. And it's easy for me up here as a pastor to stand before you and you can say, well, of course, like you're, you are a person of strong faith because you're a pastor. But I'll have to let you know, like, I've got a whole lot of friends and Bible college classmates and people who used to attend our church who I thought were strong people of faith. And I've seen them tear apart their faith when things have gotten tough. Or when the rub of like what living in our time and place means rubs up against the values of following Jesus in a way that, that makes following the bigger picture of Jesus not seem as appealing to them anymore. I've seen what seems like strong faith crumble. And I want to have the kind of resilient, strong faith in the face of whatever opposition we face that looks like Stephen that can stand the test of time. So this morning, we're going to look at what is it about Stephen's life that points us to the kind of resilient faith that he had. I've got three points. This is like classic sermon writing, all right? I'm a seminary student. This is what we do. The first thing about Stephen's life is that it is grounded in the bigger story. It's grounded in a bigger story. When the the chief priests, when the Sanhedrin come before him and they're asking him, like, what do you say about these charges that they're bringing against you? They're pretty heavy. His response is to say, the God of glory spoke to Abraham. His first words were not, well, that's not what I meant. Or, I was just trying to go about my business. 
or let me clarify what I meant by what I said. His words were, let me point you to God's bigger story. And what he saw himself doing was part of God's big redemptive arc of all of creation, starting with the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. How many of us, when we are asked about our life of faith, about what following Jesus means, like for us, we, we so easily just put on the blinders of my story. Where it, it is about my experience. Or what is uncomfortable or comfortable to me. And I mean, it, like, like we talked about before, we are formed in this way. Like we are, we are just bombarded with the, you choose what you want to do. We have like seven different options of colors of iMac now because we want to be able to have our own preference. Like, I get to choose my story the way I want to go, and we build our lives around this narrative of what is my trajectory. And so no wonder it's a default for us to just kind of like have blinders on to say, this is my story that I'm living. What if for us, having a strong, resilient faith means instead of seeing our lives as primarily our story, is to say, I see God's big story and somehow I fit into it. What if I see what God is wanting to do with his creation and I have the privilege, I have the honor that he wants to use me to be part of it. And if you are part of his church, like, you are part of that. You are called to be part of this bigger story. So what do we do? How do we see ourselves as part of that bigger story? What's the antidote? Well, first of all, I think it's just is the reminder of it, of exposing ourselves to this bigger story. For some of us, you're going to start or you've already started a Bible in one year program, right? And you're going to fail at it when you get to Leviticus, and that's okay. <laughs> but the thing is, is to continue and to pick it up and to to immerse ourselves in the story of God. And there's so many great tools and resources out there to help us with that when we're going through the long, hard slog of Leviticus, right? But to expose ourselves and to immerse ourselves in the story of God, of what he's doing throughout history, is essential for us to be able to, to root ourselves in this bigger story. Part of this series that we're doing, like, we're sneakily doing a series on the Old Testament, basing it on Stephen's story, because he's going to be walking through the, the high points of the Old Testament. We are immersing ourselves in this story as we walk through it together. But something else that I think is important is in order to live as part of this big story, we need to be around people who are going to remind us that we're part of this big story too. When we make Christianity a solo sport, we don't do well. It just becomes another, it's my story. When we have people around us who can point us to the fact that we're part of something bigger, man, we all like spin narratives in our mind, right? We saw this throughout COVID. We see this in our own lives, like when we're just not in a healthy place mentally. Like, we build our own narratives, and we need people to draw us out of our own story and help place us inside the bigger one. So part of that is, is come to church and get engaged. 
But also, like, I hear that there's life group opportunities starting up. Get engaged in a life group. Go out to coffee with someone else who's following Jesus. Have other people around you who can draw you out of the story of me into God's bigger story. The second thing about Stephen's life is that he had a faith with legs. Here's what I mean by this. As Protestants, as like the branch of the Christian tradition that we find ourselves, we can have this like aversion to doing good things because we say salvation is by faith, not by our works. And so sometimes we have this weird like, I'm going to stay away from doing good things because I don't want to confuse like I'm saved by doing these good things. And I think that actually trips us up. Stephen had a faith that was expressed in him seeking uh, to help the poor in feeding these widows and, and working towards equality. Like his faith inspired him to be part of these good things that, that he was engaging in, in helping the widows, in fighting for the equality of, of Aramaic and Greek-speaking Jewish Christians of his time. His faith caused him to go preach in the synagogue in a way where he knew it was controversial. His faith caused him to act. And sometimes we make our faith such a like intellectual thing of like, I just need to believe the right things or I need to know the right Bible verses. And we freeze ourselves from acting, from actually taking a step and doing something. Our faith atrophies without movement. So the question for us this morning, like Stephen, is, is how is our faith flexed through serving? Are you involved in giving your faith legs through letting it inform what you do. Listen, the low-hanging fruit is volunteering in church. And there are so many opportunities. The low-hanging fruit is to sign up for something. Next step further is what in your neighborhood that nobody is planning and there's no program built around that God is calling you to step into. Because there will be things that no one's going to hold your hand and no one's going to design a program around that God is uniquely calling you to flex your faith and step into. How does our faith have legs? For this last point, I'm going to invite the band to, to come forward. That means I'm wrapping up. <clears throat> oh, there's applause. Woo. Oh, man. The third thing, Stephen was a man full of the Spirit. We can be so tempted when we read about these stories of people in the Bible to put them into, well, that's Bible character category stuff, right? We read about Stephen, how he was filled with the Spirit and grace, how he preached with confidence, how he helped those who were in need, how he stood up with a, a strong, resilient faith in the midst of intense, opposition and say, well, that's Bible stuff. But if Stephen was a man full of the Spirit, that means if you are a follower of Jesus today, you have the same Spirit dwelling in you that Stephen had when he was facing the stones at his stoning. 
the same spirit that gave Stephen wisdom in a way that his opposition couldn't refute is the same spirit dwelling in you. The same spirit that mobilized Stephen to serve is the same spirit that is dwelling in you. The same spirit that gave Stephen the kind of unshakable courage in the face of his execution as his face radiated with brightness and declared that he saw a vision of the resurrected Jesus seated in the throne of heaven, the same spirit that was in him is the same spirit that is in you. Don't put Stephen in some weird category. You have that spirit in you. My prayer is that you and I would have the ears and the sensitivity to follow and to hear the Spirit's leading. To be able to say yes when there's that nudge from the Spirit that dwells in you and I. That we would have the same faith to step out of the comfort when we are being led into something new. if only we would become familiar enough with the Spirit's voice to be able to recognize and to act. I, I listened to a podcast last night on, while I was uh, driving in the car, and it was about this um, pastor who he and his family had become foster parents. He and his wife became foster parents. And they uh, had met this boy from a home that... Um, was not a safe place for this boy to be in, and, and so this boy's uncle asked if uh, they would take this child in. And then a short while after, the uncle asked, he's got a younger brother, and would you take the younger brother as well? And this pastor said it was one of the weirdest moments of prayer that he had in asking God about it. Because he prayed, and in that moment, he felt the voice of Jesus speaking to him, saying, if you have to ask me, it feels like you don't know me very well. My prayer is that we would be those who we become familiar with the voice of Jesus. And man, that takes time. That takes investment. That takes relationship. That takes recognizing the voice of Jesus as he speaks in his word. That takes taking time to know him in our day-to-day -day moments of whatever prayer and rhythms that looks like. But man, I, I would love to be able to step with confidence, being like, this is something the Spirit wants us to do. To feel like asking would be weird because it's obvious that it's the Spirit leading. And, and I guess the big question for us this morning as we wrap up is what could God do, Cornerstone Cornwall, with a group of men and women and children and seniors and singles and college students and plumbers and waiters and doctors or whoever you are? What could God do with a group of us who are in tune with his spirit 
who are positioned to serve sacrificially and who recognize that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. I want to see what that looks like. I pray we get to see that together. Would you pray with me? God, we love that you are a God who is active and moving and the same God who was working in the life of Stephen and the early church is the same God at work in us today. So God, as we're here at church on a Sunday morning, would you help us to walk out from these doors when we go and to see that the real work begins. The real things that you are calling us to is starting. God, help us to to know your voice well enough to be able to say yes. Help us to see the needs that you are presenting, to be able to step courageously and to serve. And help us to be drawn out of ourselves to see what it is you are doing on a big scale. That we get to be part of your restoration of the cosmos. For your glory and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.